When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Last Olympian, Chapter 3. I get a sneak peek at my death. If you want to be popular at Camp Half-Blood, don't come back from a mission with bad news. Word of my arrival spread as soon as I walked out of the ocean. I'm Ava. I'm Neve. And I'm Brayden. And this is Return to Camp Half-Blood. Join us as we journey back through a childhood favorite series. And see what lessons we can learn as adults from these books that meant so much to us as kids. Ava, Neve, how are we doing this week? We're, um, we have two more weeks. <laughs> That's how we we're, are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I yeah. agree because I can't move out until the end of finals week, but yeah. Happy for all of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Almost done. Almost through it. Yeah. Uh, this book has actually been getting me through the past two weeks a little bit I've very much been enjoying reading this one like for some reason particularly more than the other books I mean same I we know I'm a titan's curse person but I love this one too I cannot lie yeah yeah uh anyways this week uh we will be continuing our read of The Last Olympian And we'll be reading chapters three and four, I get a sneak peek at my death, and we burn a metal shroud through the theme of anger. Uh, Ava, would you like to introduce our guest for this week? Yes, um, we have a guest this week. Um, Our guest is actually my mythology teacher from senior year of high school, Dr. Bartlett. Um, And yeah, I took this class senior year. It was called Epic, uh, colon, Greek and Roman mythology. And um, my friend had actually taken it two years before and I just took it kind of because I was interested, but it actually kind of launched me into this whole interest in more, you know, like classical text. And suddenly I wanted to learn Latin and, you know, there it was. Um, so <laughs> it's part of the reason why I'm here and why I was so kind of interested in delving back into this podcast. So Dr. Bartlett, would you like to introduce yourself? Say anything? Uh, sure. First, thanks for having me. Um <laughs> Yeah, so I teach at McDonough where Ava went to high school in Owings Mills, Maryland, and I'm primarily a Latin teacher, um, but I also on the side teach mythology, and Ava was actually in the last class I had taught for the, took a little break from, for my sake of my schedule, um, but reviving it next year, so I'm sort of, this is a great chance to wax poetic on just all things mythology that I can with y'all and um, nerd out on Percy Jackson and Rick Riordan and, or Riordan. I always, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. I say I it interchangeably. Either. We don't know either. And <laughs> maybe we run a podcast maybe about you'll it. get him as a guest someday. <laughs> it's Rick. I'll just, you know, Rick. Well, just with Rick. Um, and sort of shout out to uh, former teachers who decide to write amazing novels to teach things. And also because, you know, their own kids being dyslexic and having ADHD and it's great. And uh, so 
I'm excited to talk with you all, not just about what we do, but, you know, a little deeper dive into it. I love it. Yay. Wonderful. All right. And in the tradition of us torturing our guests a little bit, uh, we would like to ask you to give a 30 second recap of these two chapters that we've read. So, sure, sure, sure. We're so All right. Sorry. So I guess, are you timing me? Yes, no. I, I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a three, two, one go and then, then just take it away. Okay, <laughs> right. sure. Three, two, one, go. All right. So um, chapter three, Percy returns to camp. Good news. Andromeda song, bad news. Charlie dead. Uh, Annabeth, pretty um, great prophecy. <laughs> I got a tough choice ahead. Um, War council, arguing, arguing, arguing. Clarice, knife. Um, spy, uh, and uh, oh, Luke, Kronos, savvy, ploy, who knows? Moving on, chapter four. And again, uh, chapter four. Yeah, she, she oh, does, right. All right, so, uh, oh, oh there. That's, that's our 30 seconds. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you did better than we do a lot. So yeah, I tried. There has only been it's one difficult. person who's done it successfully, like like genuinely successfully, and it was Diego, I think. So like, yes. that was, was another guest of ours. Diego, right? I, yeah, do, I do have to say, Erica summarized um, Wonder Woman well too, but yeah. she had a full minute to do that one. Different. I could have done it in forty-five seconds. Forty-five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that 30 seconds is always so much shorter than you think it's going to be. It is. I think your clock is fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe. Time, a concept. It's, it's okay. really possible. <laughs> All right. Neve, this week was your week to choose our songs. What songs have you chosen for us? So listen, uh, this week I really only picked based on vibe. Like I have no other justification other than like these songs sound like they should be playing during certain parts of it like the lyrics may line up but it's really just vibe so for chapter three I picked twin size mattress by the front bottoms which is what the emo kids listen to now <laughs> considering my chemical romance doesn't make any more music um so yeah I have no justification just I feel like that makes sense and then um for chapter four, I picked Nobody Else to Call by Jazz Ratchford, another one that I just was like, it sounds like it should be there. Um, I really tried to have like intelligent thoughts about lyrics that would line up for these chapters, but I was just like, no, these songs must be included for no reason. No, <laughs> I can discern. That after the Sun Chariot Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell incident, you do not have to have any intelligent reason behind <laughs> picking the song. That's it, actually true. <laughs> it was a big yellow taxi, exactly. kind of. So, you know, I stand by it. I just, I know how it looked. <laughs> we've we've had some very off songs, uh, and these are not that off, yeah. comparably. And they're not Taylor Swift. We need to cut down on the Taylor Swift. I'm never. so surprised no, that we're no. saying that. You never need to cut down on Taylor Swift. This Thank is, you. I know. Fair. Absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, I, I have too much. I did when when I put went back over the Battle of the Labyrinth playlist. Every other song on it was Taylor Swift. So like each of us like really? not not exactly, but 
Oh, pretty close. I um, I think every album was represented. Good. Okay. Yes. All right. So first off, what did we forget before rereading these chapters? I mean, my whole deal with forgetting is kind of, I never remember the order. Like I hadn't remembered that Beckendorf had died at the very beginning of the book. So naturally I don't remember sort of the fallout from that. Like I didn't necessarily remember that Selena and Clarice's friendship was so prominent in these two chapters. Um, so I didn't, there was a lot that fell out of that that I didn't remember. So I don't know how exactly to, you know, it was just, I guess it was just a lot, you know. That is very real. There is a lot. <laughs> uh, I just did not remember why the Aries cab. I remember that the Aries cabin, there's a conflict. They take themselves out of the battle for most of the book and then they show up. Clarice defeats the Draken. Mm-hmm. Yay. I could not remember why. I forgot it was yeah. about like a stupid little chariot thing. Yeah. I did forget what the conflict was. And then like Percy doesn't learn until like the end of chapter four. So I was like, what is the conflict? Like I was getting angry that I couldn't figure it out either. Yeah, because most of the things that Percy finds out later, we're like, oh, we know. But this, this thing, <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. I feel like I can't contribute. This is my like shameful admission is I never actually read the Percy Jackson books. I read the Jason Grace and I read... The Trials of Apollo, and I read the first Percy Jackson book, and my spouse listened to him in the car, and I would listen to them with him when I was driving with him. But this is like my true first time reading the books, these books. And it feels weird because I'm like going back. I already know all the characters. I already know who everyone is. But it, so it's so I I forgot nothing because I did not know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the stone cold argument. Yeah. Yes, there are. That's very, I feel like that's actually a kind of a common approach to these books. I feel like a lot of people got in on the like lost hero floor um, and then like went back because I don't know why. I think they're just better advertised than the original books, but I have heard that a lot that people start off and lost hero is the worst book, which is kind of sad. I disagree. Oh, wow. A hot take. Interesting. I feel like that was the better series. Oh, I agree that the series is better. I like oh, this the book. The first book? Better, but the Lost Hero, the first book. book. Okay. Where we first meet Jason. Where we first meet Jason. We could we could talk about that. Right. <laughs> but that's not the theme. But that will be as uh, Ava did warn me, there would be tangents and digressions. And I'm it's like, true. I'm totally fine with, you know, she's been my student. She knows that I'm like squirrel, but relevant. We're going with it. Yeah. Um but we can come back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, anything else we forgot? I'm trying to remember what happened in the chapters. Yeah, me too. Question, uh, there was something I remembered like really vividly for some reason, and it was Selena's joke about her dad's chocolates that didn't taste good. For some reason, I can remember that joke like really well and it was kind of weird when I read over it I was like oh my god yes I can picture like the moment in fifth grade when I read this like why did I remember that joke so well I don't know I think there's going to be a lot of moments like that in The Last Olympian though because it could have been I read this book at least 12 times like it could have been read one read 14 like I have no idea so like 
there I think there's going to be a lot of moments that I like remember vividly just because like I read this book so many times as a child so yeah, yeah I, I had two specific moments similar to that because uh as, if you can see my copy of Last Olympian the cover is falling off so I also clearly read it a lot of times but I had the same because I, li- I was listening to the audiobook because I like to get things done at the same time <laughs> um and when the, the bonbon thing came up, I finished it out loud and then it happened. And I was like, hmm, that I knew that too well. And then it was the other thing that like was one of those moments where like, I know this so well. And it felt like a nostalgia moment was describing Rachel's flat. Because it's one of those I things agree, where like actually. your child's brain reading something paints a very vivid image that makes no sense for what it actually is because you don't understand buildings yet. <laughs> I her it was just a giant empty room with like a couch and a, a a dartboard. That was that was my childhood image of what her room was because I could not fathom the like size that was being described there. That's so funny. <laughs> I agree though. I cuz I didn't know what a flat was because you know when you're very American it's a little hard for you to integrate that into your everyday vocabulary um so I think I was just like ah penthouse and I'm like wait no <laughs> so now like reading back through it it for I remember it but at the same time I'm like gotta recontextualize you know I mean penthouse is so much closer than warehouse <laughs> that's true <laughs> I remember so much of this book. (laughs) All right, then. We will take a quick little break, and then we'll be right back. You know, the pandemic has had a tremendous impact on sleep, insomnia, and anxiety. If you're suffering from sleep issues like half the world is, our sponsor, Real Sleep, has developed the world's first personalized sleep solution customized to you. Unlike prescription and over-the-counter sleep aids, their plant-based formula works with your body to get you to sleep faster, help you sleep deeper, and cut down on sleep disturbances. I know that I have terrible insomnia and trouble sleeping. I've definitely talked about this on the podcast. I go to bed regularly at 4 a.m., but real sleep helps. While sleep is solitary, you are not alone. And Real Sleep is here to help. That's why we're teaming up with Real Sleep to give you 20% off your next purchase. So go to the link in our show notes and use the code POD, P-O-D, to see why Real Sleep is the last sleep product you'll ever need. Uh, All right, we are back. (laughs) And we will now be discussing this week's theme, which is anger, which... I realized posthumously was very on the nose for these chapters. Uh, So where did we see anger? Or at least where do we want to jump to first? Because we see it a lot of places. I mean, the first thing I thought about was actually kind of the absence of anger in um, the portrayal of Clarice. Because we know that I adore Clarice. We know that I think she's seen in this awful sort of demonized light um a little too often um largely because of perspectives etc but um still I I always think she has gotten the short end of the stick um a few too many times um but I think that in this particular set of chapters um kind of seeing her 
like highlighted as the caring one, um, sort of as the one who is helping to take care of like the gentle one at camp, like in quotes, um, really kind of, I appreciated that a lot because I think that kind of worked to turn that um, really toxic image of her on its head. Um, and hopefully, you know, the people who hated Clarice for no reason, um, we'll see, <laughs> they will all see, you know, that she's actually very kind and that we cannot necessarily judge characters based off of um, vaguely sexist archetypes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna jump in here at um, just a sort of piggybacking off of talking about Clarice, but it's actually just the fact that anger is the theme is really tied into what I'm doing and then one of my classes right now at school of teaching because it is a Latin class, but they're doing mythology and they're doing the Trojan War. And the first word of the Iliad in Greek is menin, which is a Greek word for wrath, anger. So, and it's just sort of the very first word tells you, hey, this is not a book about war, it's about the anger, the anger of Achilles. And reading this, you know, what does Achilles anger drive him to do? Not kill a whole bunch of warriors and drives him to sit in his camp doing nothing and refusing to fight. And I'm reading this going, oh my God, that's what Clarice is doing. She is so angry at being dissed that her booty really, you know, this case, a chariot, not a female girl, human, human. And we don't need to go into... All the romantic, horrible romanticizations of Perseus and Achilles and all that, but yeah, literally. Look, yeah. Mm. Um, but object stolen that I feel is my due, and you stole and won't give me and this, and you need me to fight. I'm not going to fight. Don't care about the war. I care about my pride, and I'm angry. So that to me was like this huge connection of looking at that and you know silently applauding Rick, Rick on putting that in there, that subtle allusion to the Iliad and other mythology going in there. But I also loved Annabeth's anger, um, just at how stupid Percy is with social cues and all of that. And really the vivid scene of sort of the tetherball of her just like hitting it. She walks away and just seeing this. And first of all, tetherball, I'm like, I haven't seen a tetherball pole since I was in middle school. So I don't even know if you all know what a tetherball pole looks like because I'm- I do. I only, I only know what a tetherball pole looks like because there was one episode of Wizards of Waverly Place <laughs> where I, I hope someone else knows what I'm talking about. Wizards of Waverly Place where there's the tetherball of evil. Um, I actually if, think I do. And if if yeah. Alex plays tetherball with the the evil wizard guy, that she will turn evil. <laughs> but it like know. has to go around the tetherball pole every right. time. But I'm just I, saying, like, if you were born before 2000 or before 2000, you know what a tetherball pole. You had one. You played with them. If you were born after 2000, did you was this a part of your childhood experience? I mean, I was a summer camp kid. Like I went to yeah. Girl Scout camp every single yeah. summer. So like, yes, it had a tetherball because Girl Scout camps were like underfunded and outdated. <laughs> so like it had a tetherball because like they didn't replace it because like, why would they? Um, so I think that's what, like, that's the only reason why I like knew what it was and like got to actually play it. Um, but otherwise... I, it was definitely an experience unique to like people who went to underfunded summer camps. So, well, anyone listening, 
if you know what a tether ball is, and it's this pole with a ball with a rope stuck to it, and it sticks to the top, and you hit it with someone, and just one person, you just try to get it to go all the way around with the other person not hitting it back. And you can get quite heated and quite into it and really, really competitive with it. But you can also hit it when you're by yourself, just out of pure frustration. And it's so satisfying to watch that ball just wrap all the way around itself and then stick because you hit it so hard. And, and that was the image I got reading this of Annabeth just wanting to like hit Percy's head to go all the way around. <laughs> um, but instead, and then it just this image of him probably saying, like, I don't know why she's so mad and walking away. And huh? But huh? And then having other things to deal with because hello, Clarice. But um but that so that was the anger, sort of these two female different reasons for being angry that stuck out to me. <laughs> yeah, we're very much um, a pro calling Percy out when he's being stupid podcast. Well, it happens a lot. It does. We it it, it, it takes up a lot of our emotional energy. Like it, <laughs> it happens a lot. Yes, uh, I'm really happy that you brought up Achilles because uh, we've we've talked about this a couple times on the podcast where each book uh, is kind of an allegory for a different Greek hero. Sometimes it's looser, sometimes it's tighter, but the Achilles one in this book is so laid on thick. Uh, I don't think anything will ever be as heavy as Titan's Curse though. They were like, maybe the, Hercules. The Hercules, yeah. the, okay, <laughs> like you're the so Other right. characters were straight up like, maybe you're Hercules, Percy, I don't know. Like, you're so, in dialogue. He, he definitely got a little messy in Titan's series <laughs> because the uh light, yeah lightning thief was, is pretty like surface like it's pretty vague like maybe Perseus little we see a little themes sea of monsters is like pretty clearly Odysseus we don't he doesn't need to allude to it. He stretches that Hercules thing so far. <laughs> he does. So far. And for what reason? And then last book, Theseus, it makes sense. And then this book, he pulls it off of the best, I think, because we have things like, I really like the, the Clarice example, like that, drawing that connection to the Iliad, um, because it's happening not just with Percy now. And uh, like, obviously in the next couple chapters I don't I don't know in like two or three weeks uh he obviously he gets the curse of Achilles um well dipped into stuff yeah yeah Yeah. but self doing anyway yeah 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 (laughs) it's also just very interesting to kind of examine like female or feminine anger written by a man sort of written by a cis man because it we've discussed this before how it's kind of like when you try if if you are cis male and you write a woman that you think is you know super outside the box very feminist very you know it ends up being almost anti-feminist in a lot of ways and so I think it's very interesting to kind of examine the the connotations of writing Clarice and Annabeth is like sort of these brooding um sort of salty but gentle um women because I don't know if it was written by someone else 
there would be a lot more clarity, but I think that there is that layer that we have to kind of cut through and try to figure out like, is he reinforcing a stereotype? Is he trying to break it? What is the effect? You know, how could that, how could that affect people? How could it affect some of the relationships in the book? It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, we've talked about Rick is, is a student of a very specific school of feminism that is from the time period that these books are written. And I think Clarice is always the most interesting character to think of when it, it comes to this, because I think he accidentally wrote a better character than he meant to. I agree. Because from Percy's lens, Clarice isn't great. But from a reader who can take themselves out of... So it's not great for like a new reader who is reading like reading these for the first time, but people who have read a lot of books are kind of able to be like, ah, unreliable narrator and look at Clarice separate from the point of view of the narration. And I think she is accidentally very complicated, which may just be Rick not really knowing what to do with her after making her a, bu a bully. Uh, but I would like to give him some credit, maybe sometimes. Sometimes I also like to not give him credit. But um, I just, I very much liked Clarice in these chapters. Yeah. <laughs> I lost the train of thought, but that's where we're, we're gonna, gonna end that one. I agree. I agree. <laughs> Glad we all agree. I think uh, looking at, at Rachel's anger is also interesting. It's interesting that they are, now that I'm like running through the list, it's a lot of female anger in these chapters. Because Percy doesn't have time to be angry. He doesn't know what's going on. No, he has. I was going to say, Percy's just confused. Just elevator music. <laughs> no the whole time. But we, we see Rachel's anger and Annabeth's anger juxtaposed. And they're both mad at Percy. And Percy has no idea why they're mad at him. Because he's so stupid. <laughs> I don't really know if Rachel is entirely mad at Percy or just like, it's just mad at the circumstances in which she met this boy that she likes. And like, she has no idea how to fix them. And I think that Rachel is smart enough to understand that like, this is bigger than her. And like, he is obviously like dealing with something that she would not get right now, especially since, well, like she would get it because she was in the labyrinth with them, but like she, um, I think she understands why that he he couldn't like go on vacation with her given the circumstances, especially since she's been having these like visions of like the Empire State Building. And yeah, we've we read it, but like it was, um, I think she just doesn't really know where to put that anger. So she's like, I'm angry at Percy for circumstances beyond, but she knows that it's circumstances beyond his control, but she just doesn't know who else she can be angry at because mm -hmm. she doesn't know the whole context of the situation. This may be a weird question, but we see Rachel paint the picture of, of Percy standing over Antaeus. Do we think Rachel is scared of Percy? Like, because that's what the painting says to me. I don't ever think she is scared of him, but like, there's definitely fear associated with Percy. And do we think it's fear of like, she's seen Percy in action. She knows that he's really powerful or is she scared of what's going to happen to him? Like, where is the fear in her coming from that is kind of coming out in anger towards 
her parents because I think anger always stems from fear. I mean, I'll pose too, it could also be a anger of, or the frustration and the emotions rumbling of not knowing what's happening, of why is she seeing these things, you know? Why is she being thrust into this world that she's immortal and she is a mortal, <laughs> not immortal. She is, you know, not born to that world, but she's in this world and somehow she's this divine. She can't talk to her dad about it. So she has this weird relationship with him. She has this weird relationship with Percy because she's outside of his world, but inside of his world and, you know, involved with that world. So it's also this, you know, she needs a therapist, but really she needs someone she can talk to and figure out how to process all of this and separate it. But I think it's an interesting question you pose of her being scared of Percy too and what he's capable of. And she could be maybe not scared of him, but maybe scared of the power of who she's being involved with now and who she's seen. You know, obviously it ends up being fine <laughs> because she ends up getting her own amazing power later. And there was that allusion to that here, you know, in chapter three of where it's just the subtle, like 50 years ago, the Oracle wasn't like this, but now she's like this. And he's like, wait, what? And she's like, never mind, I'll tell you later. And, you know, never really tells him later. Um, but, uh, or, but so it could also be that of just sort of this fear of the unknown, which, you know, is always never good and leads to a lot of horrible things. <laughs> um, but this sort of xenophobia in a way of fear of not strangers necessarily, but fear of not under understanding what's happening and why it's happening. And clearly that's happening with her, like revealing these paintings one by one of her own, of her dreams, but then possibly just this whole fear of this world. She is now very much invested in and involved with and revealing the future of and yeah. fear of someone she cares about what's going to happen to them. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And I think kind of building off of that, she, something that I've always seen very present in Rachel is sort of this fear of losing control um, because I think she really finds comfort in having control sort of of herself and sort of, I think she really latches onto the bonds that she creates that are incredibly dear to her. Um, so I think that she's terrified kind of of losing control of those that kind of keep her afloat and um, cause we know she has a relatively rough sort of family life, um, and sort of control of herself, especially sort of, like you said, in the powerlessness of it all, as she's kind of realizing that she may not have control sort of even of herself in kind of this like new realm that she doesn't understand how to navigate. Um, but I think later we kind of see a manifestation of her determination in like getting control in her own way, because I also think something massive about Rachel is that she's incredibly individualistic um and she's empowered um but right now she's just scared but it's yeah I, I I think what happens is kind of a manifestation of like her taking action against that fear um and sort of doing it in the way that best suits her which I have a lot of respect for yeah I think Rachel's one of the most actionable characters in the series because she's a person who says things and does them. I it Rachel has always been like, I don't like the term social justice warrior at all, but that's clearly what Rick was going for, <laughs> that specific term. But I think she is a great activist uh, in a lot of ways. We see her like have like little activism like in real world causes, but obviously it becomes about the the 
world of the gods and stuff. She very much sacrifices her individuality for the greater good of the collective in in the end not to this is a spoiler heavy heavy podcast it is <laughs> but like okay. we see her i think i think rachel knows what her like destiny is way before she says it or anyone acknowledges it because she her frustration seems so intentional in these chapters that like even if she she doesn't have the words like i'm going to be the oracle she knows that there is something for her to do but she doesn't know what it is she knows there's a reason why she's been pulled into this and she's ready to do it but she doesn't know what she can do and that's really frustrating and i think that's a really frustrating thing in like activism in general because it's really easy to want to do something it's really hard to know what to do and what will actually work. It's really easy to say you want to help, but it's very hard to find the things that will actually make a difference. It shouldn't be, but it is. Capitalism. Yep. <laughs> we will mention it every single every episode. <laughs> yeah, we are a capitalism um, hate podcast. Also. <laughs> And yet you have ads. And yet we have ads. We have Listen, ads. <laughs> you can't go into all the ways to break the system right now. <laughs> no, but I think that theme of helplessness, but wanting to do something is actually something so many of us can relate to right now in this past year of, you know, talking about social justice warrior, like, sure, it's a term that is used in the right way, but I've just embraced it. I'm like, you want to call me an SJW? Fine. That's what I'm going to be. Sure. Um, like, I'm just going to shout all this from the rooftops, but it is frustrating and wanting, seeing so much you want to change and realizing you have to focus on one or this and you can't change it all. And even what you are going to focus on, what can I do with what little privilege I have or what more, you know, from not, you know, from the comfort of my own couch, <laughs> um, because you can't go out anywhere except marching or something. And really hard to even fight against capitalism when it's like, okay, I'm not going to buy this from Amazon. <laughs> like, yeah, but you can't go to the store necessarily. So it's um, been, it is something I think that like a lot of us do in rereading this now can identify with that character and some of the sort of themes that are arising there from wanting to help, wanting to do stuff, but literally being powerless to do it because she doesn't have these powers, these other gods, these other demigods have. Interesting concept, Brayden. Yeah, to keep going with, with the activism thing, I think activism is an example of productive anger. And I, I, something I was thinking about a lot when I was reading these chapters, when is the anger productive and when it is it, oh no, the second word I was gonna say jumped out of my brain. Um, when is it bad? I had a better word, but like, when is anger productive and when is it a hindrance? Right. There we go. Counterproductive. Counterproductive. Oh. There we go. <laughs> it's so much better. Because I feel like that depends so much on personal, like it's so subjective. Like I think that Clarice fully believes her anger is very productive right now. Yeah. Um, I think that other people in the camp have vocally said that this is petty and she's not 
giving her all to the cause and like she's Mm -hmm. she's detrimenting people because of this like ridiculous fight but that's just their opinion I, I I don't know it's like I guess it's just difficult to look at it objectively um because I think a lot of people when they're angry don't really like would view it different than maybe people on the outside and neither side is necessarily completely fair. Yeah. I mean, coming back to Clarice and coming away from any talk of social justice, I guess, but justice, um, Clarice brings up this excellent point at the end when Percy's like, why you just fight? Like, you're going to be so selfish. She's like, why don't you tell Apollo Cabin to give me back the chariot to give that to us? And it's like, valid point. Why doesn't anyone say this is a valid point? Because yeah, Apollo sees Apollo camps, Apollo kids sees the chariot, Ares kids led the raid. But at the same time, it's sort of Apollo kids are being, I mean, I hope I can say this, they're being dicks about it. They are just rubbing it in the Ares faces and being egregious about showing off that they have this chariot and really kind of showing that they don't deserve it. And this is where I'm gonna jump ahead of who we could kick off. And I'm like, Chiron get out like what are you you are useless you are used you are always useless he is always useless always he does nothing who's doing the camp checks who's reading the things not chiron he just sits there and he's like oh i guess we're gonna i guess it's time for this like just useless useless he doesn't do what he's supposed to do i've always been mad at how chiron's been written and this is really not more in chiron this is on rick Chiron's supposed to actually trade and do stuff. And where's the medicine? Not there. But anyway, side tangent. Um, so, so it's just going on like Chiron needs to step in and just say, like, why Percy's not the leader of the camp? He's just the like main Poseidon kid. Other tangent, speaking of Antaeus, also a son of Poseidon. Come on, should have been friends. But anyway, um, uh, but like, Clarice has a point. Tell Apollo, like maybe a mediator needs to help him step in. Like why, you know, if we're thinking about booty and who gets booty, it's usually divided equally, not necessarily who actually stole it. But anyway, I think Clarice's anger is valid. Is she blowing it out of proportion? Perhaps, maybe, but she's getting noticed and she has a right to be at continue to be angry given at how the Apollo kids have been acting. Oh yeah, I, I completely agree with that. It's it's the thing where like it is ridiculous on all sides this argument, but why is it all focused on Clarice and the Aries cabin? Because both sides are because everyone has jumped on the Apollo cabin side. But they're like they're both doing the same thing. They're both actually hindering if the Apollo yeah. cabin really cared, if if they're claiming that like, oh, we just have to give this up because we we just have to focus on, on the war, there's more important things going on. But if they really cared about the war and that was their thing, then they would just give up the chariot. It's like, let's let's say what we mean. <laughs> and I feel like people like um just hypothesizing like everyone is focusing more on the Aries cabin because they are more valuable to them in this issue like sure the Apollo cabin is great but like like Aries is the people you need on your side so like I think that instead of doing the rational thing when Clarice was like Aries is out of this fight until you 
like give us what we need. Um, instead of doing the rational thing and being like, oh shit, give her what she needs. And like, we can't do this without them. They were like, we can't do this without you. Therefore you're the issue here. It's like, okay, just because they are so important to this that you can't do this without them does not mean that like they have no points for choosing to not fight. Like, yeah, I think that most of the hate and anger is getting put towards them because they are like integral to (laughs) how this battle plays out. Um, and they're refusing to fight in it. Also, I feel like Ares, God of War, easy scapegoat, you know, Mm. very easy Mm -hmm. scapegoat, which I know we've discussed before is very dangerous because there are also so many problems in a lot of the other cabins and a lot of the other portrayals portrayals of the gods, um, particularly Athena. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, and so I think pinning it all on Ares, I think Ares in this series gets again like gets the short end of the stick like i i guess i'm here to defend all the aries people but um which i didn't necessarily mean um to do but yeah i just think it's kind of like oh hothead very easy to you know blame for everything when in reality kind of the people who are kind of making themselves out to look perfect are you know the ones that aren't able to be demonized because i don't know like they just they don't look that way they can't do that because what if you know the greater public's anger oh whoa um has a lack of validity I guess because it's like where you know I mean that that comes from mob mentality and like sort of a lot of the issues with mob mentality when it comes to like it's easiest to back up someone that you have sort of a shallow set of arguments against or for um and you know they can't necessarily argue against Apollo because all they do is you know sit there and they they make their music and whatever to at least that is from the perspective of a lot of the people who are are pinning all the problems on Clarice for no reason other than she is the daughter of the god of war. So it's, yeah, it's an issue for sure. Yeah, that's the thing about anger a lot in these series is that it's really easy to spot and call out the Aries type of, of visual physical anger is really like people yelling, people fighting is a really like palatable, like that's what anger is. But anger is a lot more than that. There's, we have a lot of words to describe anger in like more minimal senses. Like anger is an umbrella term for, I think for a lot of different emotions. I think like wrath, uh, frustration, they're all like branches of anger. So it's really easy to see that, that visual visceral anger but there's also like seething anger and anger that is pa- like passive aggressiveness that all of that is anger. And we see that in a lot of the characters, but it gets pinned on Ares, it gets pinned on Clarice because it's easy to go, war is anger. I agree. Yeah. I, yeah. I also think kind of side note, like anger is kind of the trait, like you said, that's it's the most palatable when it comes to sort of like, people having problems with other people like it's never about the manipulation like it's never about kind of the the acting like everything is totally fine and then pretending like you're um you're the one who's always in the right like it's never the sort of the smaller things that people have less um backing for and less evidence against um so it's it's always something that is kind of I'd argue sometimes the least harmful because it's the most direct, you know. I agree. 
All right, I think it is time for SAS moments. I have okay. mine open so I can go first. Oh, she was okay. so ready. <laughs> My book was literally sitting right next to me and I felt like we were getting to the end of our points. So I was like, oh, I'll open to it now. Um, this was like, yes, a SAS moment, but also just so mean um, in like such a tense situation. It's like Clarice has refused to speak to any of us until her um, issue is resolved. She hasn't spoken for three days. It's been wonderful, Travis Stoll said gracefully. What a high pressure situation for you to say something so sassy. I was like, oh my God, this is so intense. And they're like, it's been wonderful that you finally shut the fuck up. Like it was really bad. I was like, oh, this is definitely not something that would like decrease the tension in the room. No, um, but it's a harmony thing to say. I know. <laughs> Diffuse the tension mm-hmm. with more tension. Just make it yeah. worse. Um, I have my silly little sass moment. It's kind of, it's in season, season, it's in chapter three. Oh, good morning. Okay. Um, And it's, they're talking about um, everything that's in the attic. And I just love this because of the formatting of it. It's in all caps. It's like a a bronze plaque that read stolen from Crusader's Honda Civic by Gus, son of Hermes, 1988. I'm like, the way, (laughs) the juxtaposition of Gus, the name, it was truly the name of my aunt's dog. Like when I was little and son of Hermes, like this very, it's, it's very good. I could, I could talk a lot about inaccessibility and, um, ideas that history and like people from 2000 years ago are so different from us but I feel like this just kind of shows that what a lot of historians think they're not you know so very fun but also like mm, good work you know (laughs) my moment is uh page 59 this is like only funny to me it's like there's a lot of lines in this that are really just stupid but I'm like brain's like hee hee anyways um (laughs) It's him, I said, Typhon. I was seriously hoping Karen was going to say something like, no, it, that's our huge friend, Leroy. He's going to help us. But no such luck. He simply nodded. He <laughs> nodded. It's like, uh, first he's being ridiculous and like not really funny, but like, it's still funny. <laughs> so mine, so before I get into mine, like I actually, this is my own, maybe I'm just too old for this or something. And maybe I've just been listening to it more instead of reading it from like listening to all the trials of Apollo on tape and stuff. But maybe it's just the person who reads it. I don't know. It's the same person who reads all of them. Like the way he does those little side comments or the, the little side ones when you have stuff like that, it's just really annoying. Like he does them in this super annoying way. That kind of takes away, just makes it seem like almost forced, I guess, in a way. Or just, or I'm just like, I might just like not be the right age audience for this to be super funny. Like, for example, and when it's like the Chiron saying, like, but he wore a shirt that's like, Chiron is a centaur, or my other car is a centaur, like, should be funny. Reading it could be funny. Listening to it would just be like, that's a groaner. That one's a groaner. So like, just a little, like, maybe that's just the guy who reads it. It just could be him. Like every time he reads one of the similes in here, you know, it was as if, and this is really actually something on Rick, his similes are not similes. He, they aren't. He put something, it was as if something that, if something's happening, as if this thing 
that is the same thing that's happening. Like <laughs> if she walked in wearing a dress that was blue, it was as if her dress was really blue. I'm like those are that same thing. All right. I know. I digress. <laughs> I totally digress. So I have two and I hope that's okay because one's from last week and I wasn't here last week. That's what chapter two. But it, we, we talk about it in chapter three. But my real one from chapter three, just uh, speaking of another diss, I'm just like, oh dang, was uh and coming back to Aries and Apollo cabins and they're fighting and um and Percy is reflecting of the, the curses that are going back and forth and that the Aries cabin got cursed with the rhyming couplets. And he says, I shuddered. Apollo was God of poetry as well as archery. And I'd heard him recite in person. I'd almost rather be shot by an arrow. I'm like, <laughs> did you so, just call Apollo a horrible poet? Cause you did. You did. So He's much Apollo slander this week. <laughs> like, he is the person who the muses are like oh apollo and apparently he's like thinks ogden nash is a great poet and if you don't know who ogden nash is he does these rhyming couplets that are great one of my favorites is candy is dandy but liquor is quicker the other one is there are two ends of the bovine elk one end is moo the other milk ogden nash um, <laughs> not so, like, apparently that's, that's apollo in percy's mind that's so funny. So I thought that was sort of a hunt. Oh, like, are we supposed to think Apollo sucks at poetry? <laughs> That's what you just said. As as my godly parent, I will claim that. Yeah, that's probably real. But, I mean, we're also supposed <laughs> to think we're also supposed to think that Ares is really really good at war. So true, and but, that's funny to me. He's not. <laughs> he loses like all his battles. Just yeah. that whole anger rage fight thing never good when you actually want to win um but the other like diss and this is just more clever so this is like that was me dissing on rick now props to rick um but i always found it sassy that luke's yacht is called the princess andromeda and that percy is the one who sank it just thinking of the myth of Perseus and Andromeda and that he's the one who saves Andromeda and actually ends up marrying Andromeda. It's actually one of the few heroes who you actually want to get a girl, (laughs) (laughs) want to have this happy ending and is a hero who is not just a complete a-hole about everything and doesn't do horrible things to other humans. Um, So like the fact that the ship is called this and he's thinking out oh dang like let's just totally upend that myth and those illusions but mm-hmm. so that was another that was a subtle sass but the uh not so subtle sassing to seeing apollo i it tickled me a little <laughs> <laughs> i before we move on to offerings i i do have also kind of a, a sass comment about the audiobook specifically Jesse Bernstein can't do accents, but he loves to try. <laughs> Malcolm's accent is like a weird Southern accent, and it's very bad. It was so funny. I couldn't rem- I can't remember what line it was because I listened to it yesterday, and I have short-term memory problems. Um, but his accents are so bad. He gives Katie Gardner like. I don't know what accent she's supposed to have. It's not not racist what he he's doing, but I don't know what it's. It, I don't know what he's trying to do either. 
Um, and then he gives Hazel no voice. And I'm like, Hazel, if anything, should have like this Americana 1930s thing. Nothing, nothing. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> I could go off on him and just sort of, he doesn't sing any of the things he's supposed to sing. I'm like, come on. Yeah, we record the Percy Jackson series on audiobook 2021. That's our <laughs> campaign. There you go. There you go. With with the whole cast. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's so funny. It reminds me of um the Wonder Woman movie that we watched and kind of all the qualms we had with like, why does everyone have a different accent? I did not, I did not understand. We were like, who's the dialect coach? <laughs> we have to have a word. <laughs> all right. What are our offerings for this week? So my offering is for Coach Hedge. So I'm so happy he got that shot at the end. Like that man works hard. He works hard to do what he can to help out. And so he is working hard. He doesn't quite know everything that's going on, but Grover told him what to do. He's doing it. And, you know, he's doing it in his own way. And he's sending these handwritten notes on maple leaves back down to sort of that aren't necessarily giving all the details, but also just imagining what, I mean, if you know Coach Hedge, just sort of imagining what he's like to and trying to tell, you know, we invoked the power of Pan. And I'm like, but did you? Like, <laughs> no. Oh, but you, sweetie, you tried. Good job. Keep trying. That's all we ever care about. Um, so that's the, my offering is for, for Coach Hedge for just like, you're the one who's really just working to do what you can to make things right with nature. And, and I applaud that. <laughs> Shout out to Coach Hedge. I agree. Yes. Um, I mean, off of that, oh God, I feel like I always kind of cheat at these, but um, I am going <laughs> to wait. Oh, you did bad I'll... last week. So you got to redeem yourself. I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, but maybe, Okay. <laughs> This one isn't like despicable like the other one was. Um, okay, I I want to give mine to Grover because I miss him. I miss Grover. <laughs> I wish he was here. He's so comforting. What a good presence. And I miss him. And if we're talking about Pan, you know what else can I do, <laughs> right? Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't blackjack this time. So. It wasn't blackjack this time. It wasn't blackjack in the chapter had that died. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, I'm not mad about it anymore. I don't believe you. <laughs> you could not have said that any more angry. I'm not. I'm not mad about I'm it anymore. Calling bullshit. <laughs> okay, th- this is the last week I can be angry about it. Anger is the theme of this week. Therefore, yeah, I can fair. be angry about it this fair. week. I'll get rid of it next week. What I is think it is, I don't know. Anger or emotional anger or like loud angry anger. Or is it quiet, subtle within, passive aggressive anger? I'm just saying, like, you know, you you said all of these different it's it's like yeah. between seething and passive aggressive. Ooh, mm. like a little blue flame. I don't like blue Ooh, flame. cold shoulder anger. No. <laughs> <laughs> Please. No. Well, speaking of the last week that we'll be able to do something, I would like to give my offering to Selena. Because oh. <laughs> Given how she's going to progress in this book, this may be one of the only last times that she is viewed as a good person. And I just have always felt really sad for Selena. I think in the same way we feel really sad, like sad for Luke, that like we don't support them, but oh. And knowing what we know, she did not expect this to happen. In fact, it was one of the only things she was promised was that this person would be protected. 
and then it didn't happen and she shouldn't have trusted them but I just feel very bad for her and we're not going to feel bad for her in the upcoming (laughs) chapters so I would just like to give one offering to Selena and like I'm sorry girl you you were just a kid and you were very much taken advantage of um so that's my offering my offering is for Clarice this I was hoping someone would do it or else I was gonna go back in reverse (laughs) Like she needs it. Um, she's actually, I think, doing really well in this these chapters. I think Clarice has had a very hard time escaping her reputation from the first book, but she redeems herself so fast in Sea of Monsters, and then just keeps doing well. And mm-hmm. shitty things keep happening to her, and she's really just trying. She's not allowing herself to be disrespected, and she knows that she's hindering the war, but she also knows. She's the only one who can acknowledge that she is being ridiculous, but also they are. And therefore, she cannot let herself be disrespected. And I have so much respect for that. Um, Good job, Clarice. (laughs) Well, and on that sort of Clarice and Selena thing and coming back to the Achilles thing and how Percy's going to take over more of the Achilles myth. But you really have like this, like, that's what Clarice is doing. So what she's doing, the good, she's the empathy link with Grover she's showing the empathy here and being the great friend to Selena and you know even though she's seeding her own righteous anger about this chariot she sees a friend who needs help and that's what she's doing she's being that big protector by looking at sort of what's going to happen later too with the unfolding of the Achilles Patroclus myth and Selena is Patroclus here and there was a line they're talking about you know how you wouldn't think that a daughter of Aries or child of Aries and a child of Aphrodite would get together I'm like but but you would no <laughs> I'm so glad you said that but you would so glad you said that friend. like yeah uh, um, like Aries and Aphrodite bounce like a bound wow all the time <laughs> um they like all spare in love and war etc etc um yeah, no, I totally see them getting along and possibly having this, um, you know, I was just talking about Aries or Achilles and Patroclus with my junior Latin students who are doing Trojan War. So I've been talking a lot about sort of the love that these two have for each other. and What kind of love is it? You know, scholarly debate of whether they were lovers and had this passionate affair um, that was, you know, lasted the ages or if they were just truly amazing friends or even cousins that just loved each other on a deeply platonic scale. But no matter what happened and talking about the umbrella term, anger, umbrella term, love, you have so many different kinds of love that you can have. And, you know, that fierce love for each other, whether it's romantic, sexual, physical, or just platonic or, you know, almost brotherly, whatever, they have this. And it's really sweet seeing Clarice have this with Selena that they're so opposite in personality, right? And then what's going to happen with that too, the unfolding of like the Patroclus Achilles myth and tragic hero coming on and then coming back to Luke. Like when you flip it, a little like thinking of sort of Black Panther, you're thinking of Killmonger. We can see Luke or Killmonger as the, as the, the bad guy, the antagonist, but they're righteous in their own mind. Like they're fighting for what they think is the right cause. And you can't really tell Luke he's wrong. Like, yeah. you really, like I, the people who go to Luke's side, I kind of 
understand. Oh, yes. We've we're, talked we're, about that. <laughs> our positioning is staunchly like right cause, wrong methods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I, it's interesting. I, okay. I have two things. First of all, I'm so glad you said that about Achilles and Patroclus because I think I would not be able to move on from these chapters without saying that um, Clarice and Selena are pretty queer coded. It's true. Oh, yes. Um, and I read it and I was like, oh, she has a boyfriend. Why? You know, like I, yeah. Um, but, but then, yeah, sort of moving on to um, the, the other sort of discussion we were having about Luke. Um, I have so many mixed feelings about Luke because he is so manipulative of Annabeth and she is someone who is, you know, they're codependent. He's pretty narcissistic. It's incredibly difficult. Um, you know, there is for sure emotional abuse going on. However, that is, you know, that's why I despise him. Okay. But then there is um, the whole idea of like rebelling against a system that treats you and a lot of the people that you love badly. And I do respect that. You know, I respect that as a concept a lot. Um, It's just sort of the idea of, you know, I, I think he's the protagonist because um, I something I learned like last year um, was the idea that like the protagonist is the one who um, changes the least and the antagonist is the one who changes the most over the course of the story. And um, I think looking in terms of that, I think Luke doesn't change very much, but I think that's also because he's, you know, Rick has placed him sort of further in terms of development in in the social realm altogether. Like, I think he is something that Percy's always working to understand um, whether or not he, you know, enjoys doing so. So I think Luke is complex, but I, I don't, we, we all can't stand when he's just framed as like good or like evil, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I have so much more to say, but we are running out of time. But I do promise our listeners, we will come back to analyzing Clarice and Selena through a queer lens. I planned the theme specifically for that chapter in which we, we're going to talk about it because the Hephaestus, Aries, Aphrodite thing. Anyways, there's so much to say about it, but we are running out of time. So who are we voting off the island? I already voted Chiron. I already said that. Yes, I, yeah. we always support a vote Chiron off. Yeah. Who is we? Um, <laughs> I have, uh, there are mixed feelings on Chiron. I, okay, that's for a later date. I think he tries. He's put in a very difficult position. However, yeah. Um, <laughs> I vote off. Oh God, this is difficult. Um, Luke. Oh. No, no, no. Percy. Sorry. He's, he's a little dumb right now. He's, He's always a little dumb, but he, it's flaring. It's flaring and flaming, so. My vote is for, um, oh, I forgot his name. The the Apollo uh, camper, because Michael. Michael. I wanted to say Malcolm. Malcolm is the, the other Athena kid. Um, no, I was also going to vote off Michael. So I hop on that train. Perfect. It was a little annoying. And also get over it. Give the chariot back. Give the chariot back. <laughs> the chariot back 2021. Or I guess like what? 2007. <laughs> yeah. All right, folks. That is all for this week. Join us next week where we'll be joined by the hosts of Camp Half Pod. 
and we will be discussing um, chapters five and six. I drive my dog into a tree and my cookies get scorched through the theme of home. Make sure to follow us on social media. We are at Return to Camp on every platform that matters. And we also have a Patreon store, a Redbubble, and a website, www.returntocamp.com. Dr. Bartlett, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. So thank you for having me. It was tons of fun. Yay. Woo. We'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs> Bye. We wave at no we one. We wave at no one. This is not a visual media. <laughs>